You already know that if you need a car wash, you need to go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. They've got all the tools and expertise to keep your car clean, both inside and on the outside. You want it clean inside because if anybody gets in your car, they're not going to want it look like a pigsty. Plus, you're going to want it clean of all those germs. You want it clean on the outside because if you're going to be pulling up in somebody's neighborhood, maybe going to see a friend, they're going to see the outside of your car and go, wow. This guy, he knows what he's doing with his car washes. That's because Tommy's Express Car Wash is going to take care of you. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax. That's right. Have it looking real spiffy. Wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush, and spot-free rinse and vacuums as well. If you're like me, you have a dog. I have a golden retriever. She sheds so much. So I need the vacuums at Tommy's Express Car Wash, and boy, do they have them. They do them right. That's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's Express Car Wash. And don't forget to download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's at Tommy's Express Car Wash. We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time to say All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's going on? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN. Jesse Newell will join us coming up in about 35 minutes from right now, the Kansas City Star. Then we'll be joined at 4.30 by the voice of... The Baylor Bears, that would be one John Morris with KU taking on Baylor on Saturday at 2.30 pregame at 1 o'clock. We'll have a pregame show, myself and Scott Chasen, from noon to 1. And you're going to want to go out to Mama's Tamale Shop from noon to 2. The 105.9 Kiss Crew will be there giving away free prizes. There will be free KU tickets to give away. And they have $2 tacos all day on Saturday. I'm Derek Johnson with Colsey Butar, And we lead off the show, Suck It, Texas, and Oklahoma who needs your TV ratings and all the positive things you bring? Because KU, on Friday night last week, 1.3 million average view. I don't know why it's average because it's just one game. But 1.3 million average viewers in the game between Kansas and Coastal Carolina on Friday night. That was the fourth highest, I believe, uh, most watched game on the ESPN family of networks. It was the most viewed ESPN2 game since September 21st of 2019. There's a lot of qualifiers. Most viewed ESPN2 college football game since September 21st, 2019. But, hey, you know, uh, Gene Taylor, the Kansas State AD, said that revenue is not going to drop by losing Texas and Oklahoma. Well, here's the proof. Kansas is bringing the ratings up for ESPN. You're welcome. Jayhawks are back, baby. <laughs> yeah, forget it. That's how we're going to judge Lance Leipold. It's not going to be about, you know, in three years, can you make a bowl game or all this stuff, or can you be competitive? It's What were the TV ratings, Lance? You know, he's going out to recruits. Hey, did you see yeah, to the, some three-star? 1.3 million people watch this. You want to be watched by 1.3 million people? <laughs> Thought so. Thought so. All right, uh, in more pressing news, I, I do want to talk a little bit about this Baylor game. And 
KU opened up as a 14-and-a-half-point dog, which seemed rather minuscule, and since then it has jumped up to 17 points, and I haven't seen if uh, it's jumped anymore, so I'll look at that in a second here. Um, but here's why it seems a little bit small. It's not necessarily that, like I said last week, I, I believe in the trajectory that this program is going in. I like the coaching staff. I like the fight you show on the road against the top 20 team in Coastal Carolina, a game that you were in it through the late third quarter, really, until the the drop pass from Felton Gardner that kind of from there, it just completely changed the game. You were down 13, about to go in. Um, and yeah, it looks like the line has risen a little bit more. It's up at 18 points now. Um, Baylor's 2-0 and on the air. They're coming off a 66-7 to win over Texas Southern, who is an FCS school, I believe, although they're Division One in basketball. Uh, but most of all, it's not even about what Baylor has or hasn't done this year. Because week one, they didn't have that impressive of a win over Texas State. It's just the series history has been very, very unkind to Kansas against Baylor the past decade-ish, decade-plus against the Bears. I, I don't know. The first question for this, though, is is how much does that matter? Because on one hand, you know, the guys who were on this team, they had nothing to do with the 2014 game when you lost by X amount of points. But at the same point in time, they were part of it last year, the year before that, and, you know, sometimes that does matter. Listen, there's always space for a turnaround. When I was growing up, when I was a kid, Baylor was a laughingstock in every sport that was not women's basketball, in which they were somehow the only team that could beat UConn ever. Uh, they were the worst team in the Big 12, it felt like, every single year. And, you know, then they had their uh, scandals that hurt their program again right as they were starting to get good. But we can turn it around. I think, if anything, Baylor's uh, complete incompetence during the early part of my life and their turnaround into a national powerhouse uh, in a lot of different sports that aren't just women's basketball anymore really shows that KU can make a similar turnaround. Um, Obviously, we don't need to make that kind of turnaround in basketball, but definitely for football. Yeah, it's, it's good to bring up, and really until RG3 got there, they were like that. They were a team that was kind of the doormat of the Big 12, and it does show you that can happen, and, and they've really taken off over this past decade-plus um, so far, and that's been problematic in the series for Kansas. Last year, Baylor won 47-14 to in the matchup, and KU actually scored the first touchdown of the game. It was Puka Williams' rushing touchdown. Um, it was 7-7. After the first quarter, so you were in it there. Even 17-7 at halftime, you know, you're down 10. A competitive game on the road at halftime. Uh, but things kind of ballooned from there in the second half. KU had some mistakes. I think in the first half, you had a play where Jalen Daniels threw a deep ball. I can't remember who the receiver was. Just straight up dropped a pass that would have been like a 40-50 yard touchdown. Uh, corner wasn't within 5-10 yards of him. And he just dropped it. It would have been a, a straight up touchdown. Uh, maybe that changes the game. But you look at the stats in that game. And I told you it was 47 to 14. Would you believe me if I told you that the yardage total was Baylor 352, Kansas 328? So only a 24 yard difference. Kansas had 15 less penalty yards than Baylor, and it was 0 to 0 in turnovers. I'm not even really sure how that's possible, to be honest <laughs> with you, because I, I don't remember this game mm-hmm. particularly well. Most so I don't. was about yeah. to say. Oh well, I'm. That sounds like Baylor got a bunch of defensive touchdowns. Like at least two defensive touchdowns mm-hmm. is what I was going but to no say. Turnovers, but there was no turnovers. So, so how exactly did that game pan out for that? Well, I'm glad you asked, Cole. Um, 
first things first was the key downs. Baylor was 8 of 15 on third downs. Kansas was 4 of 16 on third downs. So those money downs, heavily in favor of Baylor. And the most appalling difference was the special teams play. KU gave up two kickoff return touchdowns. Ah, there it is. There it is. Tristan Ebner had two kickoff return touchdowns for Baylor in that game. If you want to include this in the big special teams plays for Baylor, they also hit a 47-yard field goal. But it's it's mostly those two kickoff return touchdowns. And those special teams, big plays, and a dropped touchdown pass, like that's the difference in making it a competitive game versus being a complete blowout. Where, where it stood last year, 47-14, it was a blowout. But if you hold them from those two special teams touchdowns, now who knows, maybe if they take a touchback, they're still going down and scoring on an offensive drive, and the offensive yards are different at that point. But let's just say you, you hold them on those drives, and let's say you catch that touchdown pass, it's 33-21. You played a Big 12 team on the road to 12 points, and that would be a success. And I think if you lost by 12 points on Saturday, again, the coaching staff and, and the players, they're not viewing it this way. They're viewing it as, no, screw that. We want to win. You know, We want to get better. But from a fan outlook, from people looking on the outside in, you played Baylor within 12 points, you covered the spread, and you were competitive. That is, again, going to be the key word all season long. How competitive are you? That would be a success. And really, as much as the score didn't show it, it might have been a little bit more competitive last year than you might have thought. That's really impressive to me that you've sort of pointed this out. Because, yeah, um, if you're a box score watcher, I don't think you really pick up on those things that can be actually blowouts normally can't be fixed with small improvements that's how you you know process those blowouts mean that something is fundamentally wrong with your team and arguably last year there were a lot of things fundamentally wrong with the team but you're right there's a lot of small improvements and we showed off those small improvements I think against Coastal Carolina and uh of course in the first game where you know we've won for the first time in literal years uh I guess I have a question for you, Derek. Obviously, you don't really seem to think that we're going to beat Baylor, um, and I think that's maybe fair. Do you feel like there's a Big 12 team that KU can steal another win off of? I do. Um, I don't know if it would be this week. Obviously, you know, if it's an 18-point line right now, that's probably going to be one of the lower lines. The Texas Tech one is the one you circle the most. At least that was in the preseason. I think West Virginia on senior day, it's not necessarily that I think West Virginia is like bad or anything. I think West Virginia is a solid team. They could be a 6-8 win football team. But KU's played West Virginia pretty well the last couple of years, and that's going to be on senior day. That should be the best version of the KU team by the time you have progression over the course of the season with a new coaching staff. And it'll be that we see this all the time with new coaching staffs. You have a competitive team, and then you win that last game at the end of the year when everything kind of comes together, and it leads to a nice little momentum boost headed into the offseason. I think that one would make a lot of sense. Um, I don't know. Texas just got their butt kicked by Arkansas, and yeah. you played Texas close of late. Texas so. is back, baby. <laughs> I mean, those would be ones that I'd probably circle the most. I'm, I'm sure some people would want to circle Kansas State just because they're maybe projected to finish in that, like, 6-8 to eight range in the Big 12, so they're just closer to you. But I wouldn't circle that one just because Kansas State in that series has – not really given you many reasons, although there have been a couple in the past handful of years, to think that, hey, we're playing a really close game with Kansas. And I just think back to the one a couple years ago in Memorial Stadium where it was 
you know, a sold-out crowd, partially because of the combination of both sides of um, the state bringing in fans to the game, and, and Kansas State just absolutely dominated. But, yeah, those would probably be the big ones. Texas Tech, uh, West Virginia, Texas, and maybe this week. So if you gave me the over of half wins in conference play, I don't know if I'd take it, but I'd be tempted to. Not necessarily that I would say, oh, I think for sure they're winning this game, but if you just add up the totals, then maybe you get something out of it. And for the Baylor game specifically, it does feel like if you're going to win this game, it just has to be one improvement from what you've seen, especially from the offensive line and so forth in the first couple weeks. But also, just from a standpoint of it has to be so much different than you have seen it in the past. Because for whatever reason, I don't know if it is a just mental thing, if it's just a happenstance, or if it's something about the Baylor style of play and the players they're recruiting to the roster compared to Kansas that has given them issues because they're 16-4. and four. Or, or I'm, I'm sorry, Baylor is 16-4 and four against Kansas in series history. Baylor's won 11 in a row in this series. The last KU <sighs> win was 2007 against Baylor. KU won that game 58-10, to 10, to your point earlier, about Baylor was kind of the, the laughing stock of the Big 12. That was around that time. But since 2010, it's been all Bears. Um, over the course of that 11-game winning streak, the average score, Baylor 48, Kansas 12. The 2011 game was the only meeting in the past 11 games that finished within two scores. It was 31-30, so that was a really good game. Baylor won that one, but it was really close. Outside of that one, the other 10 of the 11 saw Baylor win by a minimum of 19 points, and 6 of the 11 saw Baylor winning with a 40 or more point differential. And again, the average score, 48-12. to And for all the Baylor explosive offenses and the high-scoring games that they put up that we've seen over the last decade— it hasn't helped this either. Not only has KU not been competitive in this series, they haven't been entertaining. Outside of that game where KU put up 30 points in 2011, the most points that Kansas has had in a game against Baylor since 2010 is 14 points. They've done that four times in that 11-game span. I so, don't understand. I don't know what it is. I don't understand how you can go through half a dozen coaches and all of them get their butts kicked by Baylor. I don't understand how that's possible. I mean... Obviously, KU's been a bad team sort of regardless of the coaching because, you know, uh, coaching turnover makes it hard to recruit. That's the reality. Uh, but it just feels so weird. It's not like they're coming in with all the same schemes and stuff. How do they keep doing this? Right. It's it's just a weird thing. Like, I, So, I don't know. Do you view this in, in that way that, oh, well, this, the trend's going to continue? Or do you say new coaching staff, it's different now for KU? Because that's what's weird. It's not just that KU's had different staffs. It's that... You know, Baylor's had varying degrees of successful teams in that span. Yes, there have been a lot of Baylor teams in that span that were really, really good. Um, but there have been some other Baylor teams that haven't been. So, like, you look at this streak starting in 2010. 2010, they were 7-6. and six. Okay, meh. 2012, they're 8-5. and five. Meh. 2011, though, 2013, 2014, 2015, and 2019, they were double-digit win teams. So those make sense. But again, 2016 and 2018. They were seven-win teams. 2017, they still beat the brakes off of you. That was their only win of the season. They were 1-11. Last year, they were 2-7, and seven, and they still beat the brakes off of you. So whether, regardless of the staff for KU over the last 11 times, regardless of 
how good the Baylor team has been. They have just dominated KU in this series. So for whatever reason, while KU did have, you know, th- there are certain series in the Big 12 where KU has had success, like um, the series against TCU. Last couple haven't been, but there were a lot of really close games in succession. Right now, probably the closest series that you might not think it should be is Texas. They're playing Texas close like every year, but it's just been the complete opposite with Baylor. And what does that mean for the team? I mean, technically nothing, though a lot of these players have lost a couple of those Baylor games, but that's where I'm at with this. Like I said at the beginning, I don't know how much you can't. You can't blame, you know, Jalen Daniels for the 2018 loss. You can't blame Jason Bean for losing last year's game. They weren't on the teams. But when I'm picking this game, when I'm viewing it with an 18-point spread and the average score has been 48-12 to with all but one of the games decided by 19 points or more, are you going to be the guy that bets against the streak? Are you going to be the guy who bets against history? Because otherwise, that's like being the guy who's saying, Alabama's not going to make the playoff just because you want to get it right once every now and then so you can tell people, (laughs) but you're going to be wrong the other nine years out of the 10. I would have definitely made a large bet at 14 and a half. 18 has me feeling a little bit weirder about it. Interestingly, the difference isn't actually a ton, but based on the average margin of victory, even in years recent where Baylor has been really, really bad, I think I would have been comfortable taking that 14 and a half, 18 a little less sure, but uh, I just it's really important for the start of Leipold's tenure to be positive. And positive doesn't mean that he has to rattle off, you know, uh, 50% wins against the Big 12. It means that we shouldn't get completely embarrassed on television. That's what it really means to me. Well, you know what the issue is? Every game now is on television, so it just means don't be embarrassed in general. But you're right, and that's what was so encouraging about last week. You know, uh, you ended up not covering the spread. You lost by 27, but you didn't get embarrassed. And, in fact, you were pretty competitive through basically three quarters of that game. So if you do that again against Baylor, I think it's another positive step in the right direction. But as far as covering the spread, I don't think I'm going to go quite there. He's Cole Butar. I'm Derek Johnson. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Jesse Newell joins us in about 15 minutes. Cole Butar in studio with me. I'm Derek Johnson. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joins us on Wednesdays. Uh, so uh, let's play a little segment of we did something smart last week. Now, on one hand, in the conversation with Jesse a week ago, I said, you know, I could see this game being a competitive game into the fourth quarter. But then on the other hand, KU didn't cover. And Jesse had Coastal Carolina being able to keep KU from covering the spread. So we both said something right last week. Congratulations, Jesse. We both did something smart. <laughs> That's right. I, you know, uh, when you're in this job, you, your arms extend a few inches so that you do a great job of patting yourself on the back. So <laughs> we, will, we will definitely take the wins when we get it. No, that's I figured might as well get them in when we can because I've taken enough losses already. Um, we're talking <laughs> with Jesse Newell here, the Kansas City Star. So now the spread for this next game, it's up to 18 points. It opened at 14 and a half. And prior to the season starting, I know Baylor would have been 
the pick here. Did you see enough out of the team in last week's performance against Coastal Carolina, even though they didn't cover the spread, to maybe make you think that's in play here for KU? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the Baylor line surprised me a little bit. It's, it's probably lower than I anticipated, and um, I, I, I don't understand it yet, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, you know they, Baylor played a really bad Texas Southern team last week, so, you know, that, that score got completely out of hand, but I was watching some highlights of that, and, and uh, KU needs to pronto get Texas Southern on the schedule because that's the kind of team they really need to bring in the Lawrence to, to guarantee. <laughs> Rhode victory. Island's 2.0? It, uh, it, it's pretty close. It was actually pretty close watching that. Um, but, you know, I, I'm facing kind of the same issues as last week where um, the things that are holding me back from, from really liking Kansas to keep things closer than what they are is a lot of the stuff that comes with experience and or playing a team like them that doesn't have as much experience. And while Baylor shuffled some things in the offseason, they went to the run scheme that KU was trying to do with the wide zone, all those sorts of things. You know, if you look at their roster, it's kind of the same story again as Coastal Carolina. It's like they've got dudes that have played a bunch and that um, have been together and they have the continuity and, uh, I, you know, I was watching some of our game again. Texas Southern is is a bad opponent, but some of the run blocking things that have happened with Baylor, with a spring ball in place, with those coaches coming in, uh, are what Kansas wants to strive toward. And I think I looked it up. Baylor, I think, is fourth in the nation right now in rush yards per attempt. Again, half their games against Texas Southern, so I get that. But um, that, that's still you know seven and a half yards of carry. That's the kind of production that that KU eventually wants to get to. But KU is probably a few minutes behind, right? I mean, that's that's what we've been talking about all this offseason. So I, I struggle with that, and then I also struggle with the fact that whatever reason, um, to me, two matchups stand out in the Big 12. For whatever reason, TCU and KU, when they play each other, a lot of times it's been closer than you think. And, and KU has really taken TCU down to the wire in a lot of games in the last 10 years or so. KU-Baylor has been a complete opposite. Even when the games are supposed to be close, even when Baylor comes into Lawrence winless, the Jacks just can't compete against Baylor for whatever reason. And I don't know how much of that history plays into this year, but it's just it's, it's one of those things that it makes you hesitate every single time. In the last six seasons, the most points that KU has scored against Baylor is 14. Uh, and that's not very good, especially because Baylor's been one of the lower um, lower ranked teams in the Big 12 uh, most of those seasons, if, if you're looking back in the history. So, uh, yeah, I still have to pause for Kansas. I, I like Baylor being more advanced than what the Jayhawks are at this point, obviously. Uh, that's still a lot of points. The other concern I have a little bit for Kansas is all this is happening, you know, them not covering the spread the first two games when they've had no turnovers. And they've gotten a little fortune in that regard. What happens if there are turnovers and you lose five points, ten points because of that? So probably still leaning the Baylor way with this one. I know it's a long answer to your question, but, um, at some point in time, I think things are going to start to click for Kansas, and, and they will, um, when you're eyeing these lines, you'll be able to say, hey, uh, maybe that thing's a little bit too far off. Maybe there's something that you can cover. Yeah, the only thing there would be if, oh, does Vegas know something? You know, the line seems a little fishy. But I, I agree with you, and I was talking about that same thing in the Open, the fact that KU just hasn't played well in this series. The average score over the last 11 meetings is 48-12, to 12, and uh, for Baylor, they've only – had one of those games be decided by less than 19 points. And sure enough, the spread is 18. So I'm with you on the Baylor front here. Although there is a part of me that says, well, how much does, you know, what happened in 2014 
apply to Jason Bean and this team, right? But it's it's you know you're you're not going to bet against the streak. It's like betting against uh, the Chiefs to make the playoffs or against Alabama to make the college football playoff. Like it might happen, but you're not going to bet on it. Yeah, and if I was if you were going to say to me, you know, Jesse, why do you think that's happening? And again, some of this is random chance. Some of it's just because some of it's because Kansas hasn't been as good. But the one thing that stands out to me about Baylor, yeah, the thing that they always seem to have is speed. I mean, that's just over time, Baylor has seemed to outrun Kansas. I mean, I'm still popping my head. It had to be about 10 years ago now, but when they had Josh Gordon and they threw a wide receiver screen, you'll go look it up on YouTube. It's 94 yards. They threw a wide receiver, literally like a, a wide receiver bubble screen to Josh Gordon who made zero cuts and just ran down the sideline for a 94-yard touchdown against Kansas. And remember, uh, Stephen Johnson, a uh, linebacker for KU, who ended up playing in the NFL, one of my favorite people to ever talk to at Kansas, just a great kid. Um, but I remember talking to him, coming to the tunnel underneath Baylor and asking about, or one of us asked him about them, and he, he was just so honest. He said something like, I don't know what they feed those guys, but <laughs> it's not the same thing that we eat, basically. <laughs> like, those guys are a different level than, than what Kansas was at that point in time. And, uh, yeah, like I said, the speed just, it really, it can kill. And it, there's been so many big plays that Baylor's been able to create against Kansas. And uh, Kansas is getting there with its scholarship players. It's getting there with its weight program. It's getting there with its athleticism. It's getting there with all those things that you want and need to build a program where you can be competitive with other schools like this. But, again, if we're all honest with ourselves, the Jayhawks aren't there yet. They're probably a year or two behind uh, where they want to be when they face a team like this Baylor team and, and hoping to compete. Now, listen, all those things being said, it's a 60-minute game. Uh, Baylor could turn over four times. KU could turn over no times. Um, KU would probably be favored in a game that ends up like that. So this is not to say KU can't compete, and playing at home is helpful. Uh, I, I think going back over the film, Coastal Carolina was benefited from a few calls that probably would not have went the same way in Lawrence. So, you know, that's factored in the line as well. This is not to say that KU can't compete, and, this is probably one of their best opportunities to compete. If you're looking up and down the schedule, a home game against uh, a team that's considered one of the lower half of the Big 12 teams. But, again, things have got to go right, and that's where Kansas is at right now in the life cycle. Things have got to go right for Kansas for them to hang in this game. And if they do, then uh, I'm, I'm sure Lance Leifold would love to be down three or seven or ten going into the fourth quarter and take, take his chances from there. Okay, well, let's take a positive outlook then on, on the things that would go right. The, the first thing that sticks out to me, so last year, for instance, KU loses by 33 points, but if you count up, you know, penalty yardage into just like, okay, Baylor was this many more yards than KU, but then you add in the penalty yardage, Baylor only had a nine-yard advantage, and neither team turned the ball over, so, you, so the reason you get blown out is because you give up the two kickoff return touchdowns, and, you know, on one hand, you, you gave up a blocked punt touchdown last week that doesn't necessarily provide a ton of confidence in the special teams right now. Um, but outside of that one bad punt block play, which again is as big of a play that has happened to the special teams all season, uh, outside of that, they've actually been pretty solid. Like if you look at ESPN SB+, if you look at, at different metrics, um, I'm, I'm kind of keeping track of the, the big plays on the season. I still have them in the positives. Uh, they've been actually solid, especially beyond that. So if I told you that KU's special teams plays well, would that do anything for you in this game? Well, it would help. I mean, I think right now, uh, and the coaches, you know, Lance Leipold talked about this, and Andy Kodnicki talked about this, the offensive coordinator. KU is in a mode right now, um, very early in development, but 
they're trying to not beat themselves. You know, how many times have you heard the old cliche, you know, most games are not won, or, or most games are lost, they're not won, basically. And so, so Kansas right now, um, they probably aren't going to dominate yards per play. You know, they're not going to march down for 16-play, 80-yard drives. You know, it, it's just too difficult to do. But what they can do is, yeah, they can execute punting the football. They can not turn it over. They can uh, make sure that, uh, you know, things do not go horribly wrong when it comes to penalties. Uh, they're going to try to make other teams come in and beat them. And, and again, watching the tape, re-watching Coast Carolina, I think after it got to be 28-22, KU just got beat by Coast Carolina. KU got beat by a really good quarterback, Grayson Call. They got beat by an experienced offensive line that knows what they're doing and a, a pretty darn good football coach, too, at Coast Carolina, who probably won't have that job, will probably move on at some point. You would think based off the success he has there. But, I mean, that, that's sort of where Kansas is right now, you know? So you're mentioning it there. I mean, if Kansas can avoid beating itself and if it can have a few extended drives just to at least, you know, keep possession, uh, they've gone for and forth down a lot to try to do that and to try to take some pressure off their defense. And you saw the Coastal Carolina game, it was not very many possessions, which is a great help. It's a great help for Kansas to try to remain close in these games. If all those things go right, then, yeah, that's the hope for Kansas is they don't mess things up themselves. And you look up and it's 17 to 10 going to the fourth quarter. You know, or. Um, you know, heaven forbid, Baylor throws it to you. You know, maybe there's two interceptions. Maybe there's two fumbles. Uh, maybe Kenny Logan gets loose on a kickoff return. I mean, that, those are the types of things. You, in whatever this is, 90% of the game, you just want to hang in there. You know, you, you just want to hang around. And then the other 10%, whether it's turnovers or special teams or explosive plays that you talked about or Jason being taken off when the protection's terrible and he's going and making a 40-yard run out of nothing, can, can you be okay in the 90% and just hold serve and then hope you get lucky in the 10%? And, and that's the formula for a victory right now for Kansas. So, you know, we mentioned this last week. I'm not big on comparing last year to this year. And, uh, you know, it's a one-game sample for one. And, and if you line it up 100 times, it's going to end up 100 different ways. And plus, the two teams are different, different coaching staff. KU obviously lost a bunch of its top players from a year ago to transfer uh, if we're just going down that road, too. So I'm not big on just comparing those two things. But I, I think your point stands, which is, um, if Kansas continues to play the type of football that makes the other team beat them, um, like they did against Coast Carolina, then more than likely they're going to find themselves in this game at some point in the second half. And at this point, that's probably all you can hope for. That's, that's what you're hoping for if you're Kansas, is that you're just going to go out there and you know you're not the more talented team, so you're going to make the more talented team see if they make any mistakes. If they make mistakes, you capitalize, and all of a sudden you might have a chance to win. We're talking with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. Uh, one thing that could be a positive reversion, I guess, for KU, are they are they just due to go like five for five on fourth down in one game now? <laughs> it could be. Uh, yeah. And and listen, this is, uh, uh, I, I personally think almost every call I've agreed with with Lance Leipold, and I, I love the underdog mentality. We just talked about it. Some crazy things have to happen for Kansas to win these games. So you need to up the crazy. You know what I mean? You need to make it so that the game goes away from what a normal game would play. KU is a whatever, 18-point underdog against Baylor. They need some weird stuff to happen to pull off an upset. And so I like the aggressiveness. Plus, um, you can sort of sense it, too, when KU's going for this. Like, the last thing that Coastal Carolina wants on ESPN2, on national television, on Friday night it's for Kansas to go for on fourth and one in its own territory. Because if they get it, then the pressure's on Coastal Carolina. And all of a sudden, that, 
that burden on you as the favorite. It's like, oh, man, this team's coming in here. They don't care. They're going to do whatever they can to win, that sort of thing. Uh, but you're right. KU's now one for eight on fourth down. Obviously, the one they converted was uh, going to be the biggest one of the entire season to, to help beat South Dakota. But um, some of that's been desperation, just to get the end, trying to get touchdowns, trying to, to overcome a, a big deficit. Some of that's been execution errors. You know, Belton Gardner caught. If he had caught a pass, he would have had one. And then part of this is just KU being behind the eight ball. You know, that fourth and one play they had, that running play, had no chance. I mean, just because Kansas is inexperienced on the offensive line, you know, they had uh, offensive linemen double teaming the nose tackle when two linebackers ran straight free right in the middle uh, of the running play and, 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 you know, and stopped that play for a loss. I mean, if one guy fell down, the other one's going to make the tackle. So then that play had no chance. So part of this is it's just all of this, right? I mean, this is what Kansas is going to be in 2021, which is um, a little bit gambly. Um, sometimes they're going to mess up execution plays and sometimes they're not really going to know what they're doing yet just because they're still kind of installing these things and, and trying to figure out everything on the fly with Lance Leipold coming in in late April, early May to try to impl- implement all the things he wants to do. So that's kind of the, the place that KU is stuck at the moment, but uh, you're right. Uh, you're going to be better than one for eight, you would think, over the course of the season. And once that happens, it just helps KU in so many ways. They keep the football, you keep the defense off, you limit possessions, you potentially score more points. And um, if all that happens and comes together in one of these games, then, yeah, an upset for Kansas is going to be a lot more likely. Talking with Jesse Newell here on RCST. Before I let you go, uh, we got to hear from a couple of KU basketball players today at a media availability with Cam Martin and Ochag Baji. So what do you think is more likely? Ochag Baji turning into a, I don't know, we'll say a first or second team All-American, or Cam Martin playing a majority of his minutes next to David McCormick? Mm. Uh, I don't think either are very likely. (laughs) Which Um, is more likely. Yeah, I would say, I guess... (laughs) I guess I will say Cam Martin is more likely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just see Ochai, uh, and, and I, I could be – last year I talked to you guys. I said, hey, Ochai's going to make a big leap. And Nick was like, no, he's not. No, he's not. No, he's not. And he did. So, again, if I'm going to reach back and pat myself on the back, I will <laughs> say that I, I helped call that one. But I do see him as a great role player on this year's team, and I think he's comfortable in that role. I think, you know, if you put him on the perimeter and Remy Martin goes in and drives and kicks out to Ochai for an open three, that's great. And if he can be a, a guy that just pays attention on the defensive end, um, you know, good position defender, goes and, um, you know, rebounds on the offensive glass, I, I, I just see him as a, a very nice, solid scoring role player who can hit open threes. And um, that's that's a great player to have, and I just don't think it's a first or second team All-American. I think Ochai Bozzi's just playing with that, you know, especially if KU wins, especially if they go on and have NCAA tournament success, which they haven't, you know, in, in his, his years on campus. So um, I guess I'll go with Cam Martin, but I, I don't see the too big look as being a primary thing either. I think he'll probably get most of the uh, backup minutes behind Dave, but we'll see how it plays out. We know some Kansas uh, seasons have not turned out as we anticipated, and uh, this one could be that as well. We'll just have to wait and see. He is Jesse Newell. You can check out all his work at KansasCity.com and in the Kansas City Star. Jesse, thank you so much for the time as always, man. All right. Thanks, Derek. All right. That's Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joining us here on a Wednesday on RCST. I'm Derek Johnson. Cole Cedabutar in with me on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. John Morris, the voice of the Baylor Bears, joins us at about 4.30. One hour down, two to go. Half past the hour, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Derek Johnson in studio, joined by Colsey DeButar. K 
KU takes on Baylor this Saturday, 2.30 kickoff. The Baylor Bears have dominated the series of late with Kansas 48-12, to the average score of the series over the last 11 games. We're joined now by the voice of the Baylor Bears. That would be John Morris. John joined us back uh, a month or two ago to help preview all of KU football's opponents coming up into the season with Baylor. And John joins us now again on the show. John, thank you so much for taking your time out of your day. How are you getting ready for uh, this week coming up to Lawrence? Yeah, you bet, Derek. Great to be on with you. Looking forward to the game. Uh, this is the first Big 12 conference game of the year for anybody. So we're looking forward to it and uh, looking forward uh, to the trip to Lawrence. And I don't remember what the travel rules and stuff for broadcasts were last year. I'm, I'm still watching baseball where a lot of the broadcasts can't travel. So is this going to be uh, one of the first travel sessions for you guys in a little bit of time? Yeah, no, not really. We uh, we couldn't travel with the team last year, so we traveled separately. Okay. But we went to every game, football game. We did two basketball games remotely, but traveled to every other game remotely. And of course, we're in Indianapolis for the uh, for the NCAA tournament. So we were pretty fortunate, I think. You know, I know a lot of guys did a lot more remote games than that. So we were glad to be on site for pretty much every game last year. So we're talking with John Morris, voice of the Baylor Bears here. Uh, Baylor starting the year 2-0. and It was a closer win against Texas State in Week 1 than last week, a dominant 66-7 to outing over Texas Southern. Uh, what's kind of the pulse and, and the feeling on what the Bears have done so far this season down in Waco? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, 2-0 and is the bottom line, so that's good. Coming out of the first game, uh, they it was maybe closer than people would have expected, but it was still a win on the road. And don't discount that. You know, whenever you go on the road, a lot of times there's uh, there's some hiccups or things that you have to overcome more than playing at home. Uh, and then you hope to see what you hope to see is uh, marked improvement between game one and game two. And I think we saw that even given the opponents, Texas State and Texas Southern, you could see that our team, what they had worked on, what they uh, you know, really focused on, like penalties. Penalties in the first game were a real problem, 11 for 99. And then in the second game, there were only three penalties for, I think, 34 yards. So that was an area Coach Aranda really pointed out, and you could see they were much better at it. Uh, and Baylor's run the ball well in both games, but certainly tougher competition this week and in the weeks to come as we get into the Big 12. Obviously, the new offensive coordinator comes in from BYU for the team this year. So how has the offense kind of looked? How has it progressed from, I guess, last year to this year and, and early on in this season? And what's different about what you're seeing from the Baylor offense this year compared to, to maybe last year? Yeah, I think good. I think really good improvement. Uh, Baylor just had trouble running the ball last year. I mean, we were really bad at that. Uh, I think 90.3 yards per game is what we averaged on the ground, and that's just tough. It's hard to win games when you can't run the ball. And uh, so part of this new offense, and Jeff Grimes is our new offensive coordinator, came here from BYU. Part of it is, is really predicated on and really starts with being able to run the ball. So there's a lot put on the running backs. There's a lot put on the offensive line. And so far, they've responded really, really well. Uh, you know, we've had, uh, you know, 500-yard uh, rushers in two games. Now, two of those are the same guy, uh, Treston Ebner and Abram Smith. But they've rushed for 100 yards in each of the first two games. 
And then another guy, third, uh, Tay McWilliams, ran for over 100 yards against Texas Southern. So, you know, those numbers, again, bear out uh, the improvement in the running game, and that was a real, real goal moving to this wide zone offense this year. It's very interesting because that's the same kind of identity and offense that KU's looking to run with Lance yep. Leipold coming yep. in the wide zone. So you get to see two teams running it. But so far to this point, it seems that Baylor has, has found their stride there, whereas Kansas is still trying to find their stride with the wide zone game. And obviously with Lance Leipold and company taking over late, that obviously doesn't help. Uh, but what about the quarterback position for Baylor? I'm sure that was much talked about down there headed into the season when Charlie Brewer is a grad transfer and heads off to Utah. So what has that looked like at the QB position so far this year? Well, that was kind of the main question about this team going into the year was, you know, who's going to win the quarterback competition? Who's going to be the starting quarterback? Who replaces Charlie Brewer, who had been a four-year starter? And it was really good competition going back to uh, to the spring and through the summer, through fall camp, and about two weeks before our season opener, Coach Aranda said that Gary Bohannon uh, had won the starting quarterback job, and uh, and he's done well so far. I mean, he's completing 68% of his passes. He doesn't have a turnover. Uh, to me, he seems very polished to be a first-time starter at this level. Um, so he has done really well. And, and really, Derek, the best thing that came out of it was it was a really good, healthy quarterback competition in that they all supported each other. Uh, Sean Bell is a former Baylor quarterback. He's our quarterback's coach, and he just really had a great um, uh, atmosphere in the quarterback's room. And, you know, they knew whoever came out of the uh, competition as the starter, everybody else had better be ready because you never know when you're going to have your number called and go in there. So, you know, I think we've really got uh, three good quarterbacks that could go, and they're ready to go anytime. And Gary Bohannon has played really well through the first two games. The defensive side of the ball is the one that, I mean, offense has been good so far, but it feels like the defense kind of takes it to another level. And Dave Aranda's obviously put some good defenses together in his career. And, and so far this year, it looks no different. Last year, obviously, the defense was good as well. I think I was looking at ESPN SP Plus the other day, and they were ranked 13th in the country in that regard. So uh, what about the Bears' defense has been so good to start this season and is projected to be good moving forward? Yeah, I agree with you. You know, the defense is just really solid, and that's what you were hoping for coming in with 10 returning starters. So we've got 10 starters back on a defense that was, you know, was very much the uh, base of this team last year. Anything Baylor did, good last year in Dave Aranda's team, the defense was, you know, the the starting point for that. So 10 starters back, a lot of veterans, like the secondary. We've got, you know, we've got uh, four uh, seniors starting in the secondary, so they've played a lot. Linebackers, they have a lot of really good experience, and they're very rangy. And, you know, our defense, I think, is going to be really the, the calling card for this team all year. Uh, in that you know they're going to keep you in games because they're, they are going to or should play very solid every week, no matter who you're playing. So you start with that, you know, with a really solid defense, and if you have a running game that can continue, those are two pretty good uh, calling cards for an identity of this team. We're talking with John Morris, the voice of the Baylor Bears here on RCST. Um, going into this game, what is the feeling from the Baylor side, and what are some things they are looking 
you think to exploit in this game and, and maybe some things that they're still looking to kind of hit their stride on early in the season? Yeah, well, I know great respect for Coach Leipold and, and what he's doing at Kansas, and it's tough because, you know, he didn't have spring and, you know, still, like you said, installing that wide zone where Baylor's been doing that, you know, from the spring on. So, um, you know, great respect for Coach and, and the program and just, you know, building things. So, uh, you know, and, and the quarterback being uh, – our coaches keep talking about how well he can run. He can just tuck it and run if he needs to. Uh, he's shown that through the first two games. And playmakers is another thing on offense that uh, Coach Randa has mentioned to us here. So I, I think really great respect for Kansas and playing at your place. You know, that's, that's an advantage for KU. So it's going to be a tough game, what you would expect in a Big 12 conference game. Is there anything that sticks out to you about this series? I know he asked you in the summer if there's anything that stuck out about last year's game, and it was kind of a forgotten game. But just in the series in general, Baylor has, has dominated the series. They've won the last 11. The average score, like I said earlier, it was 48-12 to 12 in that series, and all but one of the games have been decided by 19 points or more. Is there anything that sticks out to you about why that would be, why the Bears have been so dominant in this series other than the fact that just – Baylor's had some really good teams, and, and Kansas hasn't because there have been a couple years where, like last year, Baylor goes 2-7, and seven and they still get a blowout win. Or uh, a few years back, the year that Baylor kind of had the down year when Matt Rule's first year and go 1-11, the one win was an easy win over Kansas. So is there anything that sticks out to you about why that has occurred? Yeah, not really. Um, you know, I, I think uh... – I, I don't know. I mean, I, to me, the, the scores have kind of gotten away, you know, kind of gotten out of hand in some of those games recently. But I, I tell you what I think of is uh, 2011. Baylor had a really good team, had Robert Griffin at quarterback, and he went on to win the Heisman. We played up in Lawrence. And Baylor was uh, down that entire game until Rob went on the long run and kind of kick-started this team in the second half. And then Baylor won in overtime, 31-30, to 30, batted down a pass to the end zone or, or would have lost in overtime. So, you know, I think about that game really more than the, uh, you know, the, the blowout games because that was uh, tough and that was a good Baylor team. And, uh, you know, sometimes on the, on the road you have to create your own energy and uh, they didn't do that till late and without Robert Griffin, you know, I don't think Baylor wins that game in 2011. And if Baylor didn't win that game, I don't think he would have won the Heisman that year also. So, you know, more than the, the blowouts, I, I kind of think about that and how close it can be or how tough it can be playing up there at, uh, at KU. That's a, that's a really interesting point to bring up and just the, you know, the butterfly effect of, yeah, if they do lose that game, I mean, it was. I, I remember at the time because Baylor, I believe, was nine and three headed into the the postseason. It was the talk of well, typically even nine and three doesn't get it done for the Heisman, but right. he was able to win that. So yeah, you're you're right. If you're eight and four with the loss to Kansas, there he probably doesn't end up winning it. And it, it's crazy how you know obviously there's more there than just one player, but it feels like from where Baylor was maybe 15 years ago in the Big Twelve. Uh, you know, you look at the 2007 game when Kansas won 58 to 10, and how much that has shifted since then. Uh, to how much that Heisman Trophy and how much that one player did mean for starting up this yeah. program to where they have come over this last decade, where now they are one of the best teams, seemingly year in and year out in the Big 12. It's pretty incredible what that one game could have meant. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, again, that's that's the way I look at it. That that would have changed quite a few things had Baylor not been able to come from behind and win that game in 2011. And uh, and and you know, we had a stretch where uh, we had some stability, not not complete stability, with uh, head coaches, uh, and that helps you know during that stretch also. So. Uh, you know, boy, it's it's just hard to predict these days, isn't it? Uh, you just never know from one week to another uh, which team's going to be sleepwalking or which team's going to be sky high and what the results might end up being because of that. Absolutely, and that is what makes people love college football so much. Anything can happen <laughs> on any Saturday. Right. <laughs> he is John Morris. He is the voice of the Baylor Bears. John, thank you so much for being so kind with your time again and uh, appreciate you hopping on and have a good call on Saturday. Man, I appreciate it. Thanks very much. Great to be on with you and uh, looking forward again to our trip to Lawrence on Saturday. All right, that's John Morris, the voice of the Baylor Bears, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. KU basketball season is... It's not right around the corner, but it's getting closer than what you'd think. Did you know two weeks from this Friday is late night in the fog? It's crazy how often or how early late night in the fog seems to creep up on you, especially now that it's at the very beginning of October. Now, for the first KU basketball game, I mean, they have an exhibition against Emporia at the beginning of November. Um, I believe the first game that actually counts for KU is that November 9th, that Tuesday against Michigan State, and then they have Friday game on the 12th. But that means we are, what, two months away from the start of KU basketball season, and like I said, just two weeks away from late night in the fog. One guy who I'm interested to see what he looks like is Ochai Baji. You know, and I, I asked this question with Matt Tate yesterday and, and kind of joking around because it does happen every year. We always hear the story of, Yep, this is the guy who transformed his body. And I'll say this, like it actually has happened before where it has been, it has led to a different player or a different season from that player. But like I remember, you know, years where it'd be like, oh, Carlton Bragg added 15 pounds of muscle and then all of a sudden you lose the weight running in boot camp or it just doesn't really affect anything and you get into game one and it's like, eh, is, is there anything different there? I'm not really seeing it. But again, I mean, this is so so that happens every year. We hear that like once or, or twice with players every year. But like I said, there are, I guess, the exceptions to the rule with sometimes that actually occurring where players do have an impact because of it. And the, and the one that comes to mind is Yudoka Azubuki, who, you know, went, underwent just a big transformation. His wasn't gaining weight, it was losing weight. So maybe that's where I am with this. If it's a story about a guy who, lost weight and trimmed down, which was the case for Doak, then I'm interested. But if it's a story about somebody, oh, he gained 20 pounds of muscle, I don't care because we've heard that story way too many times. But then again, how many guys do you actually have who are in the category of, yeah, they need to lose weight because probably everybody on the team, on this year's team, at least that I can think of off the top of my head, it's like, oh, no, we need to add muscle to them. Like, Cam Martin, we need to add muscle to you. Mitch Lightfoot, we need to add muscle. There's nobody who's in that that boat as, as you look as Buki. But one guy who we might hear something about is Ochag Baji because of the fact that he's heading into his last year. You know, he wants to max out everything 
He's super committed. Uh, C.J. Moore of The Athletic actually wrote a really good piece, I don't know, a week or two ago, where he spoke with Ramsey Nijem, I, I believe that's how you pronounce it, the trainer for Kansas. And he talked about how Oshai, since coming back from the NBA draft process, has been like a new man. And I'll give a precursor to this that he said in the story, like, Ochai has always been a very hard worker. So I don't want to make it sound like, yeah, this is new that Ochai all of a sudden is, is found uh, to be a hard worker. No, he's always been a hard worker. But sometimes, and, and I think this is, you know, something that might apply for KU football, sometimes there can be a difference between working hard and doing the right work hard, right? So under previous staffs, maybe with like Les Miles, I don't doubt that the players and the coaches weren't working hard. I believe they were working hard. But with your new head coach, with Lance Leipold, you're not just working hard, but you're working right. Right? You're, you're working smart and working hard. You're doing the right things so that the hard work is going to pay off more. You're going to maximize that. You could work hard, but if you have aimless hard work, you know, it might help a little, but it's not going to be as important. Well, and I'm not saying that's the case with Ochai, but again, you had those NBA draft processes where, you know, you're working out in the offseason and you might be working out with some NBA guys. You might be working out alongside guys who are used to the regimen of playing basketball every day and getting your body right for that and doing things that are going to take your game to the next level, not just the weightlifting, but how many shots are you going to get off, certain drills that you're going to run. And he made it sound like Ochai had kind of hit a new level with that and being a leader with getting other guys to follow along. So you might hear that with Ochai about the, you know, the body transformation, although Ochai's body is, this, this sounds super weird. I, I, I'm already regretting saying Ochai's body. Uh, Ochai's athleticism has already been at a very high level. So it's not as if that would be a game changer for him. But more so, I'm interested to see how good Ochai can be this season. You know, you go from a, I believe, third-team All-Big 12 pick as a sophomore to a guy last year who was counted on more for the team. And in certain senses, you did more. You shot a very high volume of threes. You hit threes at a very high percentage considering the volume that you shot them at. You were a little inconsistent from game to game. You know, you might have a two, three-game stretch where Ochai's shooting well, and then you might have a couple games where he's just kind of off and he's not impacting the game on the offensive side of the court. And a big reason why there wasn't a ton of nuance to the game. It was mostly a spot-up shooter. And KU didn't really have the creator to open things up. We've talked about this a lot, that having Remy Martin and having Joe Yesifu, guys who can create at the point guard position, and even Dewan Harris, too, you're going to have guys that I think are going to be really good at setting up those perimeter shooters this year more so than you did last year. And that's going to automatically help a guy like Ochai, I would imagine. Is he going to get as many shots with as many good players and as deep as this KU roster is? That remains to be seen. But could he be even more efficient? Absolutely. And could you see growth in his game in those other areas in improving his offense? Like, if you're going to play small ball four and you get matched up on a, another wing, can you have a back-to-the-basket game around the post? Or can you be a guy who can dribble a little bit more with it and create for others as well as yourself? Can you drive to the rim a little bit more and finish around the rim a little bit more than what we've seen in the past? Those are all areas that Ochai's game can grow, at least on the offensive side of the ball. And I'm interested to see the step that he takes this season. Because we saw 
When Ochai was just a really, really good role player, again, he was, I believe, third-team All-Big 12. Maybe he was a Big 12 honorable mention as a sophomore. I can't remember. But that version of Ochai being a good role player, playing good on-ball defense, getting some rebounds, giving you athleticism, and hitting shots, that was enough for him in that role for you to be the number one team in the country. Obviously, it helped having two of the, what, five, seven best players in the country with Devon Dotson and Yudoka Azubuki. This year's team is going to be different than that. I don't think you're going to have two of the best five or anything, but certainly you could have two of the best, I don't know, insert a number, because David McCormick could have All-American honors at the end of the year. Remy Martin could have All-American honors at the end of the year. Like, do you have growth from any of these other players? Do you, there's a very real chance that an improved role player, Ochai, is enough for you to be a title-winning team. So I don't want to make this sound like the way Ochai goes is the way your team goes because he could be the same as last year, and if everybody else around him is improved, it's still an improved team from last year. But if Ochai does take that next step toward becoming an All-American, and it's not just Ochai is a really nice piece next to David McCormick and Remy Martin. Remy Martin stirs the drink as the creator. David McCormick gets some buckets in the half court and protects the rim. Ochai is like the third guy, but he does everything well, and he's playing that good on-ball defense, and he's hitting shots, which is getting more open ones because of Remy Martin. Again, that can be a situation where you can still end up being one of the best teams in the country. But if Ochai does take that step, and now all of a sudden you're talking about, man, what a three-headed monster. I don't even know who the best player is between Ochai, Remy Martin, and Dave. I think Ochai might be the best player. That takes this team to a whole level, another level because I think you know what you're getting with guys like Remy Martin and David McCormick, not specifically in terms of what it's going to look like this year because we have questions about how everything is going to fit together and are guys' minutes and shots, are they going to go up or down? But just in terms of we know those are very high-level commodities in college basketball. So if Ochai can surpass that and become an All-American, it changes really the way this team could be from, in my eyes, you know, maybe you're one of the best if Ochai is kind of the same as last year, just a role player. But if you go from that to all of a sudden All-American level Ochai, you might be the very best team in the country. Ochai actually spoke with the media earlier today, got a chance to catch up with him. Here's what he had to say. Ochai, it's been a long time since we've done something like this. Um, this is a college experience. Do you, have you missed this at all, or is it is it something you've kind of enjoyed not having to do, or any thoughts on it? Um, I mean, it was different last year, like not seeing you guys, um, just seeing you guys on like Zoom and all that. But it is nice to be back and see everyone here, see all the faces that I know. So, and what's boot camp been like so far? You're number four, right, for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's you know boot camp every year. I feel like for me, it gets easier. Um, but it's just always a mental thing. So at the end of the day, it's just mental and, you know, helping the younger guys and the guys that haven't been through it a lot, getting it through or getting them through. So Is it fun with 10 new guys to see how they react? Because usually you have one or two or three new guys. Yeah, it is. It is fun. Um, I know they're all hardworking, um, all the new guys, newcomers. Um, so it's, it's really cool to see, you know, how they adjust. And um, like I was saying, how we're bringing them along and helping them through this. Which newcomer has been most impressive so far in boot camp? Uh, I would say KJ. I'd say KJ. Mm -hmm. um, he's in my group for when we do stations, um, and I'm just, like, helping him, but he's working hard. But all the newcomers are, are doing a really good job so far. So. Thank you.
What time have they made you report this year? Huh? What time do you have to report? This Seven year? o'clock. Seven o'clock. Yeah. Is that later than normal? Uh, some of my years I've done 7 o'clock, and then I think my freshman year I did 6 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So 6 o'clock was, everything's better than, anything's better than that, yeah. <laughs> I know the last few years you guys have had Frank, Devontae, Marcus, and now you have um, Remy and Joseph. How are, do those guys compare to all any of those older guys, or kind of what's, what have those guys been like so far? Yeah, I mean, they, um, obviously they do compare um, size, but I think mentality-wise and, you know, always willing to, to get better and you know fill that spot in um, on that point guard role is is something that's um, common here and known here. But they're doing a really good job t- for me um, seeing them adjust to you know the style we play and different things like what coach wants. Um, they're doing a really good job so far. So, how close was your decision this summer? Um, I'd say I decided three days before, three or four days before, like the deadline. Um, I was working out for the Raptors, and I was out in Tampa, and I kind of just made my decision there, talked to my parents, talked to my friends, my family, so. Was it something that went back and forth throughout the process? Mm, no, not really. I was just really weighing my options, um, really waiting until the deadline. Um, you know, I could have gone, I could have stayed back, but, uh, you know, I think I, I chose the right decision to come back. What was Coach Sell's reaction when you told him? Happy, excited, him and Coach Rob and KT, they all called me the second I, I made my decision official. So, How did you let them know? Um, I just, I had called Coach Self the night before I made my decision officially, talked to him about it um, before I put it all out there. So, Did he give you any advice? Um, just to, you know, be myself and, you know, get better and progress throughout the season to, to you know, be as successful as I want to be. When you see what you have coming back and coming in, how much easier is that decision, knowing that you've got a chance to? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, coming back, um, I have a lot of guys surrounding me that are talented, um, that want to get better just like me and have the same mindset and goal um, getting to the league. So it's, it's really nice, you know, having guys around you that, that, that are hungry for the, same, for the same goal. What were some things you took from that draft process into this offseason and, and hopefully into this year? Um, really, I think the biggest thing was seeing the the conditioning and shape that I have gotten in um, with the whole process working out two to three times a day even um, just seeing how far I could push my body and you know coming back here with all the tools and everything that I've learned about you know the pace of the NBA game compared to the college game um, I've learned about you know a lot of things and just watched a lot of films so it's been good. Was there like a moment during that process where you're like wow I can't believe this NBA player or these guys are doing this much mm-hmm. where it kind of clicked? Um, so, the, yeah, the trainer I was working out with, uh, his um, his main guy is Damian Lillard, and he would always talk about his workouts and, you know, how hard he worked. And, you know, he would be going two to three times a day, but the pace and, like, the work ethic of his of his workouts were 100% every, every single time, every single rep. So just seeing that and seeing that at the highest level of an all-star um, was really special, so... Have Remy and Jalen Coleman Land said anything about conditioning here compared to their other teams? No, they haven't said anything. Um, I know they're they're not complaining about anything that's different, but um, I know it is a it is a different level from from where they came from. You've never been in bad shape, but you look like you're in pretty good shape now. Is this the best shape you've been in, and what what maybe changes have you made? Um, just really, I think nothing really has changed. Just 
um, focusing more on my diet, um, taking taking better care of my body, you know, recovery, um, the importance the importance of that I think is something I've learned this summer too, but really taking care of my body so I can last, you know, throughout the season once we get in like February and March, um, when you're trying to make that uh, like final push, I think it's key to, you know, keep your body fresh and, and healthy. Do you, feel, do you feel like there's areas where you've improved as a player because of those types of things? Um, really just, you know, I think, um, a lot of things come with conditioning, um, decision-making, um, shooting, you know, getting to the basket, getting to the free throw line, different things like that come with conditioning. Um, and that's, a, that's what I've learned over the summer, so. Any weight gain or loss for you? Mm-mm, nope. Are you all talking about your expectations for yourself at this point, or are you all just, you feel like it sort of goes unsaid? Um, right now it's unsaid. Um, I know once we start getting to the midst of things with practice coming around the corner, um, you know, we, we all have that main goal that I said um, in mind. But, you know, really once we start practicing and, you know, gelling with each other and seeing lineups and stuff like that, that's when guys are going to get a better idea for that. How would you describe Remy Martin's game? Kind of reminds me, I said this this summer, um, kind of reminds me a little bit of Devon. Um, the way he can switch speeds and get downhill, um, particularly from different spots on the floor. But his quickness, I think, matches his development. So. Uh, that was Ochai Baji talking with the media. The other thing that's interesting with Ochai, and it's not just you know what that jump looks like on the offensive side of the ball and what parts of his game come out improved. Because, again, if, it, if he's just the same guy where he's just pretty much a set shooter, that's still going to have a great season on offense. When you look at the guys around him that are going to open things up for him, and it, he was already high level volume with high efficiency a season ago. So that on its own is going to make Ochai, even if he was the same players last year, a better player this season because of the fit. But if you add those other things, it does maybe make you an All-American level player. And it does maybe make you one of those great Bill Self wings at the University of Kansas. But the defense as well, he's always been a good on-ball defender with KU. But this is something that he got knocked a little on in the NBA draft process. I saw a couple times just from reading different scouting reports and stuff. He, and this isn't something that necessarily when you're watching the game, you're always paying attention to, right? It's very easy to see, oh, guy with ball, he's being guarded by X player. He's doing well or he's doing poorly based on what happened there, right? That's that's a lot easier to gauge. It's a little harder to gauge what your off-ball defense is if you're not intently looking on it you might not be noticing it during the game because you're watching where the ball is right that's just kind of a fan way of watching the game I mean that's the most enjoyable way to watch the game uh maybe the most natural way to watch the game but that's something that he did get dinged on a little bit the fact of his off-ball defense sometimes kind of fell asleep and spatially wasn't totally always aware of everything going on if that improves as well and just having another year around the program knowing what you're doing a little bit more it's going to be pretty key. He's already one of the best defenders. He might be the best defender on the team in general just because of the on-ball defense, but you need that off-ball as well. And for a team that, to me, the defense is more of a question than the offense, I think that's a very fair question to have. He's going to be the leader in that regard. And when you're a wing, that gives you the versatility to be able to match up on different positions. Who knows what Bill Self would want to implore him as? Would he you know, use him against the other team's wing or against the four, but you don't have Marcus Garrett anymore to take on those best assignments. So maybe that becomes Ochag Baji's job 
And it's not just about the on-ball defense. It is about the off-ball defense. So some areas that I'll be interested to see if Ochai improves on from last year to this year. And certainly sounds like he took the offseason very, very serious. Always been a very hard worker. I would imagine he's in store for a jump. I think sometimes we see these players for two, three years now, which is funny. You know, if you go back 20 years, every year forward, it felt like you're going to take a jump. But in today's college basketball with the one-and-done era, it's almost just like, well, we're expecting whatever you were last year. You know, you're probably going to be pretty close to that same guy this year just because we're not used to seeing guys stick around for four years necessarily. But Ochai still has room for improvement. And if some of that improvement comes this season, he might end up the best player on your team. He might end up an All-American. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.